Tom Gerhardt and Dan Provost are the guys behind Studio Neat. On this show, we discuss entrepreneurship, product design, and all of the ups and downs that come with running a small business. I'm Mike Hurley, and this is Thoroughly Considered. So, gentlemen, I've noticed a trend recently uh, with some of the products that you've been making that it's been something that's been playing on my mind a little bit. Not like I'm super worried about you guys because I'm sure you're fine. But there seems to be a lot more hand assembly going on, which seemed to really kind of ramp up around the remote dock time where like you basically just made those. And then it feels like every product that you've done since there's been a there's been hand assembly from you guys or packaging for basically a component of every single product am i right in thinking that not the pano book okay and not the glyph yeah just to give like a context or just like a brief overview is you know when we started uh with the original glyph back in 2010 it was like very simple there's no assembly required except putting it into the little simple packaging and our manufacturer had no problem doing that. Um, next, the Cosmonaut, uh, like a little more assembly, but we were able to, again, get our manufacturers to do that. Um, and so the neat ice kit was the first thing we made that was like, okay, there's not really assembly, but there's kitting that needs to happen, meaning putting all these disparate parts into the final packaging. And we knew we didn't want to do that. And so we actually like hired a, a company here in Austin. It's basically a warehouse uh, and fulfillment company that has capabilities to hire people and do kidding and some light assembly. And so it was a real kind of mess to have two warehouses simultaneously, like two different companies fulfilling orders. Um, but we thought it was kind of worth it to uh to to be able to have that capability to not have that on us to be assembling and packaging and then yeah you're right mike kind of somewhere down the line it was with the remote stand first we were like hey this is like a small product we're probably not going to sell a ton of them let's uh let's see about just doing this ourselves in terms of we're actually doing the manufacturing ourselves and the assembly and kidding um and because that was low quantity that seemed fine but then since then we've just kind of been okay with uh with doing things ourselves because we've uh with the neat ice kit it was kind of a problem to have that outsourced and we're we're actually moving away from that like we're we're not using that warehouse anymore and so yeah it's like with the with the mark 1 and uh with these new docks that we released and canopy has some like final assembly we have to do to it. Uh, like we have to add like the micro suction pads and put it in the, you know, the instruction card and get it all packaged up. And so all of these things in isolation are not a big deal, but we're starting to see a potential problem where, yeah, when you, when you add them all up and if we keep releasing new products that do require some assembly, even if it's a little bit or do require some kidding, um, we're going to reach a tipping point at some point kind of soon where basically all we're doing is just assembling and kidding things and not having time to, you know, develop new products or do other things we need to be doing. So it's kind of, we're not to that point yet. And I think if things were a little more spread out, uh, like not having the docks and Mark one kind of happening at the same time, it wouldn't feel as bad, but I think it is an important exercise for us to be thinking about this and coming up with solutions uh, to work around it because I don't think it's sustainable to just keep piling on products like this. I don't know if I agree. I don't. I don't. I don't think we're anywhere near the like point where it would really start being a huge chunk of time. I think it definitely feels that way because it's almost all we're doing right now. But if you stretch that out over the course of a year and not have these product launches, I. I don't think it would be quite that bad, but I think the thing, the reason I think we do, like, I agree with Dan that we like need to make a change and figure something out. It's just because I think it's just something we need to learn how to do. Um, Because 
the, I, I, we kind of begrudgingly always make the decision that we want to do it, like assembly our for practical reasons. Like if there was an re- easy way to have someone else do the assembly, we would just do that. It's no problem. Um, but the the real issue comes from making these products where the parts are coming from all over the place and there's not a clear place for them all arrive to arrive to where they can get assembled and then like sent to warehouses. And I know there are companies that exist that can do this, but I don't think that's exactly a very good option for us because of the volumes and like schedule that we work in. I, I think it would be a very difficult relationship to manage. Uh, and I don't even know if anyone, it'd be like worth it for anyone. Um, so the, the option that kind of makes the most sense is for, I think is for us to kind of like have someone here locally that can do that work for us. Um, and, and I I could be wrong about that, but what worries me about, or worries me, but I think what makes that difficult is we really need someone who like the reason, part of the reason why we do this assembly ourselves is because we want to have a really good, like quality assurance check that we that we ourselves do, or at least someone we trust does. And so when we find someone that means that that person needs to stay like the same person and we want to be able to train them and like rely on them and trust them and have them be detail oriented and reliable and all this stuff. And, but, and we could find someone like that if we had a full-time position, I think, but we, it, we, it would be such a scattered ad hoc amount of work that to a find someone that can that is like that but then has this like flexible schedule but then also won't like move away or go to college or do something like changing you know changing their situation to me it just seems like really hard to find that person like we could might find that person but then we'll have them for six months and then they'll change or go do something else is my hunch and so i think it's just uh, I am just not that confident that we would be able that that it would be easy to to find this uh, like person, and so it's just I don't know. T- to me, it just feels like something we can keep putting off, although we probably shouldn't. But that's kind of the conflict. Like that's the conflict for me, basically. So, are you designing these products in the first place, assuming that you guys are going to be involved in the manufacture of them? Or is this kind of catching you by surprise each time? Oh, it's not catching us by surprise. Yeah, I think honestly, like the the remote stand was kind of liberating in a way where I think it freed us up to do products where it was like, well, we can just do the assembly, like that's fine. Uh, and it and like Tom said, it has been fine. Um, but I yeah, I think it's true that perhaps in the future. It's just something we're gonna have to consider more and and be like, okay, we're like committing to this, or is there like a way we can tweak the design to make assembly easier or you know, consolidating like having if we change this part, maybe there's like one less vendor we have to, you know, interface with. We already make those decisions. Like that's the thing. Like we already like I we do and I do a lot of thinking and work onto like reducing all those complexities and reducing assembly and like we already really work hard on that and so i don't buy that we can just decide more to do that and it will change things like what we would have to end up doing is making product sacrifices like oh Mm -hmm. like if we made some stance that like we were not doing any assembly here we would end up making some different design to choices that that i think would be worse for the products because we only do we only like make those decisions i think about assembling here uh like we we know it's a kind of a pain and so if there's another way to do it we would and so i i don't know i i'm skeptical that we would actually um it would either be like like sacrifice decisions about product or um yeah like i i don't know i feel like we already think and like worry about that or at least i do um and so yeah, I mean, like I fought, like we I, for the Mark One, for instance, I made I, I, we made like several design iterations and choices to make assembly easier. Like for instance, uh, the knock uh, used to be a thing that we would screw on to the mechanism and then have some like like adhesive, basically. Like the first idea was to like have it screw on and then have some like thread lock that would have it lock on there, um, but we decided to change it to a press fit so that so the assembly would be like easier and more reliable, et cetera, et cetera. So we already go through those design 
uh, revisions and stuff. And so, I don't know. It feels like to me, if we made some like stance, like we, I think we used to kind of have a stance, right, Dan, in the, in the beginning, where it's like, well, we don't do assembly. And so if we if we made that again, like a stance we had, I think it would um, it would change the products, like for sure. And I don't know if now that we have been on this side of the fence we would end up actually making those decisions if we thought it was worse for some reason. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, to, I mean, to me, the dream, like the dream is like, honestly, yeah, like having someone locally where we can, we can like send them parts, like we can train them on how to assemble something and just send them parts like here and be like, hey, assemble all these and then give them back to us uh, when we're done. And we would have like a rate that we pay them like per product, right? You know, like every time you assemble a Mark one, you get this much money. To me, it's like a really great relationship that we don't have to manage. And if we trust the person and they have like, they share like our eye and our attention to detail, like that's awesome. And it would be great. And that's really what we need. Um, and maybe that person does exist, but uh, that to me is like the answer we need and not not necessarily forcing us back into the mode of having to have like manufacturers do everything. Cause it's just, you know, like, you know, so Mike, this is what's so crazy. So when we used to make like, so when we are still, when we make glyphs, for instance, we never see them. Right. So like we, we have, we like right now I'll tell like premier source, like, Hey, make some more glyphs. They're actually doing it right now. They're literally making glyphs right now. They make them, put them in boxes, send them to our warehouse. And so we never see them. And for some products that like, it, it makes sense. And we're not worried about that. Like a glyph, you know, it's injection molded. It's like pretty straightforward. We trust Premier Source. Uh, for Mark I, um, that would have, if we would have decided, we were considering having China, like, uh, like our manufacturer in China, like assemble everything. That would have been a complete and utter nightmare if we had done that with the Mark I because of just like quality control issues. Like, uh, and so... for some products like even these uh, material docs and stuff there are some products we just need a human that we know personally that doesn't change that we trust touching each one Uh, like for instance with the mark ones like i click each pin like i don't know like 10 times and dan does too before we send it out and i don't think that's ever going to (laughs) change maybe (laughs) maybe it will uh hopefully it does but i think a human being that we trust needs to do perform that check um and so that's kind of like a, that, I don't know, that really limits us, I think, in terms of like our options. And so I don't know, I don't, I don't exactly see this changing. I think we can definitely be smarter about some things, but um, I think this is just the reality of it. And to, to me, like the, the way I do the calculus on this, like, so when I'm sitting there, you know, making pins, right? And I'm like, sitting there at like 2 a.m. and I'm like, really, am I really assembling these pins? Like, this seems like a, such a bad idea. Is it like, quote, worth my time or whatever? But what's crazy is if I think about like a box, like if we we do, we we move the Mark I pins around like in these like Tupperware, clear Tupperware boxes, and a box kind of comfortably holds like 250 pins. If I'm like carrying a box of 200 pins around, that's like $12,000 of revenue that has to be generated for that box, right? And so it is totally worth my time. If my if I can assemble, you know, $10,000 worth of product in a day, then that's works in my mind, right? Like that will pay the bills, <laughs> right? So um, I, I, don't, I don't think we're quite at the level yet. I, I still think it is totally worth our time in some ways. Um, and and so i don't know i it's like we're on the edge i I, in this last couple months feels like really bad but but i think it's a an outlier but maybe i'm wrong i don't know yeah i don't know it's tricky and it's funny because the reason for this trepidation is not even because i don't like assembly like i i like weirdly like repetitive uh tasks like the assembly is not the problem it's the worry that uh like we're sacrificing something else by doing it you know mainly like new product development or any you know kind of the other work we could be doing in lieu of you know this repetitive task um that's kind of the concern for me so i i think it like is worth it in turn like you said in terms of that like monetary value but we are also trading 
time uh, to do that. So like, what, it, where is that time going? Like, what could we be doing instead of this assembly? So it's, it's hard to say. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I know that it is incongruous, like, uh, with other things we've said in the past, like, for instance, the reason we don't do like fulfillment is like, oh, we want to outsource that work. And so like we do fulfillment and we spend a lot of like effort to, you know, maybe have that something we do. Um, and so like me saying, oh, we can do assembly and it's worth it is like incongruous with that. And so it is like, you know, not definitely not the right decision for us, I think, like in the long run. But um, yeah, it's not, and that's also like the the Seth Godin business thing. I don't know if he made this up, but it's like your your business just should be making money while you're sleeping. Uh, like that's mm-hmm. when, you know, you have like a sustainable business or whatever. And it's like we're moving away from that where like we <laughs> are tied to like the products yeah. existing. Um, yeah. So that there's some like hesitation there, too. Yeah. But I think like what you said tom about having you know having like a person this like fantasy person that lives in austin and you know has a good uh sense of you know quality um i I we've talked about this uh offline but there's i I think there's like half you know we can nudge uh to these solutions that don't go all the way to like needing to hire a person where it's more like the glyph where we try to work out to where like the manufacturer is doing more or doing all of it. So like just for example, these docks, like we have a guy here in Austin who's doing the the you know the CNC milling of the wood and finishing myself and delivering just the wood pieces to us. But he's like stated in the past that he is interested in, you know, doing the entire assembly and so there would definitely be like a training and a learning curve that would need to happen uh to do that but i think that type of thing is ideal obviously that only applies to that specific problem so it doesn't solve things wholesale but i think little wins like that would kind of add up and ease things to where it's like okay this is this is now something we can kind of sustain and and keep doing yeah i mean you know, you, you know, you could talk to me like in a month from now and we've like found the perfect situation. We're like, oh, yeah, this is like definitely better. Like I, I foresee that hopefully being the case. But um, I also don't think it is like quite hor- horrible yet. So it's I don't know. It's um, I, I here. Here's my prediction. I predict we we're about Mike. We're about like two or three weeks away, hopefully, from like being completely like. Uh, like uh, everything is through the pipeline and we're done assembling and like with this backlog and all this stuff. I bet you we will get distracted by new stuff. And then this problem won't come up again uh, for a while. And so I bet we'll just ignore it <laughs> and then, and then be like, Oh wow, we should have really set that up. So we'll see. Uh, uh, but that's my prediction. It's usually how it goes. But won't you have to keep making these things for stock? Yeah, but so, yes, but it's not as painful when it's, it was particularly painful because of their, two, we had like two product launches. And so, and there was all those problems with the Mark One in terms of like this assembly. So we're working to fix those problems to make it easier. And if that's the case, it won't be as painful. And so like to say like, oh, oh, we have to assemble a thousand pins. Uh, it won't take months. It will take like three days or something. And so... Uh, that will, I'm guessing will be like pretty tolerable. Uh, so that's the thing is I, I anticipate that the, at that changing quite a bit. And so it won't feel as like, it's not really bad, right? Or it's really bad right now, but, uh, I think in the ideal situation, it won't really be that bad. So I don't know. I, uh, I don't know. It's tricky. It's like, you never really know. Like we had no idea that the Mark one process would take nearly as long. I mean, I mean, it's been months, like three months or like we had no, we had like didn't think it'd anywhere, be anywhere near this long. So if, 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 for instance, we can't, I mean, I think we're going to, but if we can't, for some reason, can't make this process go faster then yes, we will absolutely have to, uh, like, yeah, hire someone or figure something else out. Cause yeah, we can't, we really won't have any other time for anything else. So, um, but I anticipate it getting like, you know, an order of magnitude faster hopefully so i don't know we'll see we'll see these are these are the problems i mean i I think this really does exposes the weaknesses and downsides of the way we have structured our business in terms of trying to remain like a two-person shop 
that has that doesn't have like very much overhead and has flexibility because not only is it awkward for us to kind of like hire someone part time, we also don't have a space. Like we don't have an office for them to come to. You know, we have a storage unit. Yeah, we have a storage <laughs> unit that you could like sit in in the dark. Um, and so, it, yeah, I think this like really does like expose the downside of um, of of like yeah the the like structural decisions we've made. Um, and so it would be really nice to solve it. Uh, but you know, I, I, I mean, I, for instance, I really like, like Dan mentioned before, after the remote stand, I think it kind of freed us up to have more flexibility with, you know, who makes the parts and who does assembly and all this stuff. And, you know, for these, uh, material docs, we're a 3d printing actually in-house 3d printing a part that is like a production part that goes into the dock. And that is, uh, feels pretty like good. Um, and so I like that we have that as like something that we're kind of letting ourselves do. I think in the future, what we might do is actually now back farm that out and have someone have some third party do that. But it was really nice to be able to do that in house um, in a really ad hoc manner, like as we were releasing them and like having design tweaks and stuff. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I like the flexibility. I like that we've given ourselves the permission to kind of do some assembly and figure that out like in the future i think no matter what if we obviously if we have someone and we're going to eventually train them to do the assembly i think dan and i are going to first do some assembly so that we really know what the problems are and how and what to look out for and all that stuff because really a lot of this assembly stuff it's looking out for quality assurance like qa problems that you if you just if someone else is doing it or if we just kind of blindly let manufacturers do it we wouldn't like know that this flaw exists and it could just be like running through the cracks so it does feel really good to uh be intimately familiar with you know the problems that are likely to show up so it's probably going to be one of those situations where you know we might do the first round of assembly get it all figured out and then you know pass it off right dan i mean i i, I see us doing that for a lot of things going forward yeah yeah for sure yeah we'd have to we'd have to do the first cycle to like yeah. you said yeah figure things out so yeah what do you think mike what do you think mike it seems it just seems interesting to me because i i feel like is there a possibility that you're going to end up limiting yourselves in some way like that's what i oh, can't sure. seem to to get like if this becomes like a a way that things are typically done will you maybe only make products that will allow you to do it this way because you're worried about like scale? No, I don't think so. I, my opinion, and maybe Dan, see if you agree. My, my opinion is we always make product decisions for product and we kind of let the chips fall where they may in terms of like, obviously we'll know ahead of time, but for instance, if we, um, like if like so when we were thinking about obi of course which was like a very like an ambitious much different product we there was so much assembly in that that we would have just have had like probably someone in asia who was making it do the assembly and when if that means we had to like fly to china to like oversee that process we would have done it like i think i think we'll continue to make decisions for the product that are best and not let I, I just think we're good at um at at like privileging that and being flexible. Like we don't get we don't like get stuck in our ways, I think, really that much. Uh we're like very willing to change it up, you know? Um and so I don't I don't I'm not really worried that it's gonna limit us on the product side. It will limit us on what we can spend other time doing, like making new products or marketing or stuff like that, but in terms of uh, like what the what products we make, I don't I don't see it really affecting that really. Hopefully, <laughs> so like I, I'm trying to like phrase this in a way that I'm I'm not attempting to say that this kind of work, um, is not valuable. Of course, it's valuable because otherwise the products don't exist. But it's not necessarily where your strengths, both of you, lie. Like is your time your time is probably better spent elsewhere, but you don't really have a 
choice financially, right? Uh, I think we have a choice financially. Uh, like I said, these products are like we have the margins and the price point is high enough to where we could pay someone pretty well to do this work uh, and it would be worth it. So I don't think it's exactly financial pressure. I think it's like a a comfort level of like hiring someone. And also um, it feels like there's a tremendous amount of overhead that goes into high finding and training someone to do this work and thus far it hasn't felt like the overhead required to start that relationship has been worth the payoff but now we might like dan was saying we might have like be at this tipping point where it is so for instance with um with mark one we did have someone uh that actually lives like in my neighborhood who is in high school come and work uh do some like kind of hourly work doing some like pre-assembly and assembly on some of the parts and that was great uh and it worked out fine um but it was like a simple part of the process and she you know has she's like it has a life she's in high school she can't just like work the only reason it worked is because she was on christmas break um and so but it was like it was an interesting um kind of study in like how much work it takes to train and like manage that sort of thing. And it was definitely a help, but it didn't feel like, oh, wow, this was a huge, huge time uh, like saver. Mm -hmm. And I think why we are so different, like I think the story that everyone has in their heads about manufacturing is, you know, there's a bunch of people who assemble stuff for their job and that's what they do all day and over and over again. Uh, that's just not going to ever be true, at least for us in the near term, because we don't have any product that's under constant manufacture and has the volumes. Like we can't have some person that's just making Mark ones every day, all day. If we had that, then it'd be easy to train them and it'd be totally worth it. But it's super sputtery. It will be like maybe, maybe twice a year we'll have batches of Mark ones made and then they'll get assembled and that's it. You know, it's not, it's not consistent. So the overhead required to like train a person to like get them ramped up on doing Mark one production. It just feels like, eh, is this worth it? It, it? it feels tricky. So that's why it's like a pretty complex problem is we're in this weird situation where we do very like sputtery ad hoc assembly and manufacturing. And uh, well, it's not even really that ad hoc. It's just like maybe once or twice a year, we'll make a big batch of something and then put it in inventory. And so that that kind of really changes our requirements for assembly. And it, and it, I think it's going to be hard uh, unless we just have a good solid relationship with someone and they know the products, it's going to be, um, it's always going to be a struggle to just be like, okay, is it worth like scheduling the person, finding them, setting it all up? Or should I just get this out of the way? Cause it takes three hours. You know, that's, that's like always the decision. Yeah. You see, I wonder if though, like totally get that. But I wonder if at some point you end up with so many of these products that it does become more of a, like, multiple hours a week for you. Yeah. yeah. Right? That, like, if you end up with, like, three more products within the next 18 months that require intervention from you, like, then it's going to become not a occasional thing, but, like, this is a multiple hour a week thing and then if you're on some crunch on the next project but you've got to make stuff for the you see like it, it, it yeah it will eventually if it keeps trending the way that it has most likely start to become a frustration or like a like a failure point right yeah for sure and i think if i think if we had a situation like ongoing where we each had to spend like eight hours a week doing assembly, I think that would be enough for us to be like, we got to get someone else. Uh, and so I, you know, I think it will be a pretty easy decision to like, it will be a somewhat easy decision to make it, but I don't now the solution. I don't know. But um, right now I just, I don't think that's our reality yet, but I mean, maybe we are getting there. It's like tricky to know. I mean, it also might be an argument for bringing more stuff in house in a way uh, because then we can, it would make, we can uh, actually support an actual person. It's kind of like we just don't have enough. And so we're like on the edge. And so maybe if we, 
I mean, we're not going to do this, but like, for instance, if we just like said, oh, Premier Source, you don't assemble glyphs anymore. Just like send us the parts and we'll like do it and package them up because then we can like, you know, um, support like a person part time more or something. I don't think we'll ever do that, but I don't know. It's, it is something to think about that we're kind of we have like one foot in, one foot out. And uh, like I think about so we have a, a friend company, Grove Made. Um, and they're interesting because they take like the opposite approach to us where they make, they make everything in house and do assembly and everything in house. And so they have a big, I think they have like 30 people or something. And I think the vast majority of those are all like staff that does like assembly and manufacturing. And so, um, you know, they can turn things around really quickly. They're like really close to their quality control process, all that stuff. Um, but the downside is, you know, they have a lot, like a ton of overhead that they have to kind of make up every month. So I, I don't know, we're, we're one foot in, one foot out. And I don't think I want to be a completely two foot in the um, like manufacturing and assembly thing. Like we, I'm pretty sure that we don't want to do that. So it is, uh, I don't ever see us actually getting fully on board and like fully logical and fully um, efficient. Uh, in this like context, but I mean, we'll get better, but I just, I just think we like, we privilege the products themselves and like our flexibility more than, uh, being like perfectly like operating perfectly as a business, if that makes sense, like from an efficiency point of view. Yeah. Oh, I understand that. Like I do these things every day. Yeah. I mean, you still edit podcasts, right, Mike? Less. Like, I actually less, edit less now. Um, that was actually a decision that I made this year. I handed over um, a few uh, mm-hmm. of the shows that I do to an external editor. So I'm like slowly reducing the shows that don't require my edit so much. You know, that they could mm-hmm. be edited. They didn't necessarily need me. They could just need anybody mm-hmm. that is a talented editor. Um, yep. although arguably not really arguably the guy that's editing is a better editor than i am uh but <laughs> <laughs> but it it's just that those those shows let require less like content editing which i feel is yep. is mostly best done by the personal or people that made it um mm-hmm. so yeah but there are things like that and many other things that i'm still doing uh that i don't need to do but I still do them because I feel like I need to be close to them. But I am slowly getting better at it and adding less new things in. I mean, I think this is the classic tension, right? And I, I think when I always make this, when when people talk about like entrepreneurship, and um, I always make this distinction in my brain, at least that you know there seem to be some like entrepreneurs out there where the thing they like to build is the business, right? It's not necessarily the products or services that the company's making, but the business itself. And so they're really interested in like organizational efficiency and 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 like operations and things like that. You know, Dan and I are neither in, very much interested at, at all in that stuff. And so there's this constant tension between Dan and I staying really close to the work we like doing or like growing and expanding and hiring people and being more efficient and the story I think people tell themselves is like, oh, well, if I hire this person, I'll have more time to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. But I have never seen a situation where that is the case. <laughs> I, I think what ends up happening is you turn into a manager or you turn into someone who's fundraising or getting work to support the people that you've hired. And so I think we're we both, I think, believe that, at least at this point in our lives, where we still want to stay really close to this day-to-day stuff. Like we still want to be making the website. We still want to be designing the product. We still want to be doing the prototyping. It's fun. We like it. And so I think that also means we are going to be doing something assembly and hopefully we can find someone to help doing that. But I think if we kind of really worried about this problem and like worried about the efficiency and what we're spending our time on, it would turn into this kind of treadmill of like okay well we need to really hire we need to get this person but we really need to get them on full time so that we can really get them and have them here all the time and it's like okay well we need to you know it just like builds and builds on itself um it's like a it's like a treadmill and i've had people literally we've had actually a number of people tell us this when we've talked about this issue is yeah i have a, a company with like 20 people and it started off with just me and then as soon as you make your first hire 
you can't help but being eight people almost like right away because of just the way things kind of work. And so I don't know. It's it's uh, we're real gun shy about that. Uh, I think it's partially definitely like our comfort level, but it is, I think, also partially a it is like a like a strategic choice um, that we don't want to get in a situation where we have a lot of overhead that that will then change our product making decisions and like the kind of thing we have to like you know we'll start we'll start making products because we need to support the business and that feels um like it could we could head down the wrong way sometimes Mm -hmm. so sometimes when i ask (laughs) questions on this show i feel like i'm effectively like taking the role of like couples counselor like (laughs) unintentionally so like one of these questions is this question dan do you feel exactly the same yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I remember I had a uh, a professor in grad school who had like a small game design studio and he said, he kind of said something similar that I never forgot. She was like, once, I think I've said this on the show before, like once you hire your first employee, everything changes. Like your company fundamentally changes from kind of doing what you want to do and just supporting yourselves to now you have this other human being where you're responsible for their, you know, their livelihood. Um, And so, yeah, you can be sent down this path where you start to chase things, uh, areas of growth that maybe you're kind of forcing or like Tom said, uh, products that uh, you maybe wouldn't have made otherwise, but you feel like you have to because you have this overhead now. And so, I feel very good about our decision, you know, almost nine years in now to uh, just stay the two of us, even though we do hit these kind of, you know, rough patches sometimes, or like I said, the kind of like definition of a business of like making money while you sleep isn't always true. Uh, It still feels good to just have autonomy and and just be in kind of complete control of our destiny, I guess. Um, So yeah, I am also very gun shy about, kind of going down the path of, uh, you know, hiring a full-time true employee. Um, but that doesn't mean, you know, we couldn't figure out some solution of, you know, essentially temp work or, or things like that. Uh, that's kind of like a different thing, but yeah, I totally agree. Okay. And Mike, you promised me a dance tech corner. Well, I, I no one's, no one's saying the episode's over yet. You can, <laughs> you can have your tech corner. I did. I said, I've even given it a, a, a nice abbreviation, a DTC, right? That's what we're going to yeah. do now. Do you want to, do you want to give us your tech corner for the, for the episode? Dance tech corner. Then now the jingle started. So <laughs> Mike, do you want to choose one from the notes app? I have, I have many possibilities, uh, of varying degrees of inscrutability, uh, yeah, I feel like I, I know what they all mean, though. Uh, I yeah. do not know what cameras do not equal razor blades. Okay, I know what that means. You've said it now, so let's do that one. Okay. Can I can I take a stab, actually, at what I think it means? Yeah, sure. You, pro- you probably know exactly what it means. So there's a lot of rumors right now about um, the f- future iPhones getting more lenses for different functions. So, like, apparently there's... There's going to be like a third lens this year. They don't. The rumors are not 100 percent sure on what it will actually do. But then the year after, there will be additional lenses, or the third lens will be used for AR depth sensing, depth sensing, uh, which is you know just to use like some kind of laser or something to for AR, so it can sense a whole room rather than just like 10 to 15 centimeters. So I think Dan is saying just adding more cameras onto a camera unit will not necessarily make the camera better. Like adding more blades onto a razor doesn't necessarily make the razor better. No, that's not what I'm saying. Ah, uh, you, dang. you are, you are correct in that I'm tying it to razor blades and it's kind of referencing the classic onion article. Uh, I have it pulled up here. The headline is F everything we're doing five blades and it's, mm-hmm. this gets linked all the time. Uh, where it's basically the, the joke of it is that, you know, 
Gillette and, Sh- and Schick or whoever kind of get in a pissing contest of just like adding blades to their razors. There are five blade razors now, which is kind of the best part about yeah, all of uh, it. Yeah, that's what's that's yeah. what's funny about it. Yeah, this this article was written in 2004, and um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's six blade razors at this point. Um, <laughs> but the joke is kind of like really like how you know just adding a, a another blade really make that much of a difference. Like this seems like a purely marketing thing, and so whenever it's like oh the new iPhone's gonna have three cameras or whatever, everyone kind of like links to this like this is getting silly. Um, and my point of this is I don't I think that's the wrong reaction um, because I think we're just in a different world with uh, computational photography where like we've seen cameras with 16 lenses, you know, like I think I forget the company name. I think it was called light or something like that uh, where. I don't think it is just like a, a a marketing thing or a let's just slap another camera on like and we'll sell more iPhones. Like I, I think there it, you could, of course, do it poorly or do a bad job. But like, I don't think it is ridiculous if one day an iPhone has six cameras. I don't think it's ridiculous if it one day has 10 cameras as so long as they're actually doing something to improve image quality or offer more focal lengths or things like that, because the iPhone is always going to have a physics problem <laughs> in that it can't yeah, compete. It's always going to be a disadvantage. Exactly. Like it's ne- it's never going to be able to compete with a DSLR or mirrorless in terms of sensor size or lens size. And so where it can't compete is the computational element. And part of that is having multiple sensors and multiple lenses and combining the images to improve image quality. So I just, I hesitate. The reason I just want to talk about this is I, I don't think it's the, in a, the correct reaction to kind of roll your eyes. Um, like, I think we should embrace these improvements so long as they are actually improving things and not just a marketing gimmick. Uh, but I think this, I, I do see things potentially trending this way where you have an iPhone with a ton of lenses and they're all either A, offering different focal lengths or working in concert in some way to continually improve image quality. And I think that's a good thing. Um, and so this is not like the uh, F everything. We're doing five blades. <laughs> I need well, it's on. funny. I thought, I, had, I thought you were going to go to a different way too, Dan. Because um, the idea of having like six cameras on the back of a phone and the reason there is just for six different focal lengths feels like it completely misses the boat of what photography is. So, you know, I I think a lot of photographers, even like professional ones, don't walk around with six lenses in their bag necessarily. And I think for most people, they're thinking about it too much if they do, right? You know, like a lot of people will will get like a Leica Q or something that you can't change the lens on and enjoy the process more because they're, you know, they're, they're, they don't have zoom, they don't have different focal length control. And so they just have to compose things. And so I think if there were six lenses on the back of a phone and the UI or like the UX of the situation was, oh, just like pick your focal length and there's like a little slider where you can pick which one, like 5X, 3X, whatever, that feels like kind of missing the boat and like clunky and not true to like how you would actually get the best photographs at the end of the day. Um so I thought you were maybe going to go down that road of like, you know, photography is not about like having infinite choice. It's more about like composition and like focusing on that. Um, however, I think your point about changing the paradigm and the way we think about these lenses where they're, it's not that it's not like, here's my lens bag and I have these six different lenses I can use and like, let me flip between them. It's no, these are all contributing to like making one image that's good and it's like automatic and I don't think about it changing that paradigm that to me seems to make a lot of sense but the like just i think a lot of people are thinking about this in the context of just adding more lenses and that does seem like a fool's errand in a way yeah but i don't i i think yes like it 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 would be a ui thing where basic like like say let's say you had like six lenses and they worked in concert and they kind of span the range from uh, like a 17 millimeter equivalent all the way up to like 105 millimeter equivalent or something uh, to almost everyone. 
all you're doing is making their digital zoom, which they're already doing anyways, into an mm-hmm. optical zoom. Uh, so that's mm-hmm. like a huge win, like where people don't have to think about it. I mean, they're not thinking about it anyway. They're just digitally zooming. But now you're actually improving image quality by like offering those those lenses at different focal lengths. So, yeah, I, I think it would be like a UI mistake to be like, hey, check out this like camera bag with all these uh, lenses. Mm-hmm. I think they would all be interconnected. And like I said, all contributed contributing to a single image, but you have like flexibility, you know, low light and, and then focal range and all these different things that can kind of work together to, uh, but at the end of the day, you're still just like basically pointing and shooting. Well, well, I wonder why Apple didn't make when they went, when they jumped the shark to go to two lenses, I wonder why they just didn't do like four, you know, like I, I, I'm curious about, I would expect that at that point, it was just a case of like the size of the camera module. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you gotta, you gotta start somewhere. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, I know, but why didn't they just like go with twenty immediately? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> well, I know, fools. but cowards. If that's the way they're thinking about it, and I mean, I, I, they probably are thinking about it that way. I mean, that feels right, but, um, I don't know. It just, uh, I don't. Maybe I'm too close to the problem, and like when I make a decision to change the other lens on the camera, it's like a. It is an action I take. It's not just like, oh, digital zooming, you know? So maybe yeah. that's just my own bias. Um, yeah. But I, they, I mean, they didn't set up the UI exactly that way. I mean, I don't know. It's, um, I mean, they kind of, they do mostly, I guess. Um, yeah, I think for me, like what I would, what I would like is, uh, like I said, like I would love a, a range of like wide angle. So more wide angle than it is. So somewhere in the kind of 12 to 17 range all the way up to a hundred or so, or even, I mean, the further would be amazing, but I don't actually know how high you can get on a smartphone with the mm-hmm. limited space. Um, but having a range like that on a smartphone would be so awesome. Uh, so just right there, like we have, we have roughly 28 and roughly 55 or so. Like I, I would love to have, something even wider than the 28 and something even mm-hmm. more telephoto than the 55. Like that would be super useful. What do you think, Mike? Do you want more lenses? Um, it, you don't care. I'm fine with adding more as long as it adds genuine functionality that I can take use of every day without making the phone super ugly. Mm. Because, you know, you could end up really really making a mess back there you know like it could just start, that camera bump could just start to become a real situation well what i mean that i feel like it could be a camera bar it could be a camera square yeah, yeah. Be well, fine. So there are ways to do it like i i don't i'm not like saying oh don't add more because it will be ugly i'm just saying like it would be a shame to me if it was yeah, they won't though. You know, they won't. They they'll they'll at least make a. I mean, honestly, these camera bumps are like they're straight up ugly. Like from a like a thirty thousand foot uh, ivory pillar design view view, they are ugly, but and like ridiculous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, they'll they'll make a sensible. You know, they make the they're really good at making very sensible decisions, right? That's what they do. So yeah, I think you know they'll it'll be a square i mean it'll be a square or a long bar that goes across the back i mean that's what it'll be right yeah well, i mean one thing they can't do it well i guess i shouldn't say can't but it would be problematic is if it does actually <laughs> go down the path of that one camera that had like 16 lenses is those lenses covered the entire back uh, so your hand would obscure many of them uh so you that would be fine if it's like okay if you're taking a picture you have to kind of hold it on the edges and you know shoot it but that seems you know kind of clunky for many reasons uh so yeah i think they'd have to stay in some kind of module that's like out of the way of where your hand is the thing is i don't think there is any reality where we would get where there would be like even six lenses on the phone because what's going to happen is they'll you know if they slowly march towards more and more lenses there are already technologies out there, like Lytro, for instance, that are really fancy in doing computational photography. So I, I don't think we need, there would ever be a situation where you need 16 lenses. Like there will, into the future, there will be, you know, technologies that um, do a lot of that work. Like when I was in graduate school at NYU, this professor came over from the computer science comp sci department and um, 
showed he took a normal DSLR camera and put like a uh like a mask on the like on the very end of the lens that had like a shape a specific shape and when you took a picture with it you could only see it in the bokeh but otherwise you couldn't see it but with that shape you could change through computation you could change the focal distance of the image through just having this like weird shape on the lens so there's like technology out there that can do pretty crazy stuff um and so I think I I foresee us getting there where we don't need 16 lenses. There'll be ways to like get around a lot of that stuff with maybe a couple, you know. Yeah, and I think it's also like they're going to add lenses, but they're also going to add like sensors that aren't, you know, photographic lenses, but they're like sensing depth and doing all kinds of things, you know, sensing like light levels and, you know, any any number of things that it's not like a a quote unquote traditional lens, but is contributing to the computational photography in some way. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's really I think it's, (laughs) you know, not to go too down the like Apple uh, you know, with their like finances and stuff recently, but I, I had an iPhone 10 and I did not upgrade this year. And honestly, like I would, I'm curious if I will be able to like hold off upgrading, uh, this year also, but it's all about the cameras. Like the camera is going to be the thing that makes me want to upgrade. My phone is so fast like there is no reason to upgrade for me for the computer trip or for storage space or for the screen like all of it is perfect still for me the camera is the single thing that would make me want to upgrade and i think that's true for a lot of people so it makes sense for apple to continue to kind of pedal to the metal in that territory well then why didn't you upgrade dan i have i upgraded and got awesome the like the like portrait mode portraits like uh, selfies with the like there was actually i think reasons to to actually upgrade for the camera oh yeah i mean i think it was an upgrade i just didn't see it i didn't see it as a big enough upgrade to buy like another thousand dollar phone you know like you got to be sensible Thoroughly Considered is a joint production between Relay FM and Studio Neat. You can find out more about this episode at relay.fm slash tc slash 48. Thanks for listening.